What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Inside the Five. I'm Griff. I'm Staff. And on this episode, we're going to be breaking down what went on in the divisional, our thoughts, everything about those four games, and then moving on to the AFC and NFC championship game. We're going to be giving our predictions uh, spread-wise for each game as well as the line for over-under. We're going to be talking maybe a few props in each game as well. It's me and Stav on the episode. Stav, what do you say? If you want free money, listen to my picks, people. Welcome back to Inside the Five. Took a little hiatus again, you know, scheduling conflicts, whatever, but we're back. That's all that matters, right? Let's get things kicked off. Let's talk about the division round. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't as exciting as the wild card round was, but we still had some great football. Um, can't complain about playoff football. Let me let me make that clear. And we'll and start no with the first game. Bad slate. Exactly. No let's, bad slate. let's start on the first game that took place Saturday at four o'clock. Uh, we had the Jacksonville Jaguars traveling to Arrowhead Stadium to face the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs won 27 to 20. This was an interesting game, in my opinion, because I mean, out of most games, this was probably the most winnable game by the losing team, if that makes sense. You know, Jacksonville had their chances, especially at the end, and they just couldn't capitalize, Griff. It was unfortunate because they were they kind of had that the feel of the Bengals of last year where young yep. second-year quarterback, offense was clicking, huge wild-card round victory, comeback win, one of the biggest in NFL history. You go to Arrowhead, you had a chance, and you just couldn't pull it off. Yeah, and I feel like a main, a main reason, at least through watching the game and through watching the past couple Jaguars games where the offense has been hot, um, the main thing that hurt them in this game on offense was Evan Ingram, in my opinion. He, he's been a, like a not even a tight end for them. He's been lining up outside at wide out. He's been having some good games. He's a good receiver. He doesn't block well, obviously, at the tight end position because he's undersized. But he's been great in the passing game. And he's been kind of a security blanket for Trevor Lawrence. Um, he, he finishes this game with five receptions, 31 yards. That's not really the type of um, game that – you would want from him, especially playing against the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs. And I, the main, my main point about this game was obviously it was a seven point difference. The one drive that set this game apart was the Chad Henney drive, 99 yards down the field. Obviously, everybody knows about. If that doesn't happen from that point on, I think the game goes a lot differently. Oh, you're 100% right. And not only that, I mean, well, yes, that was a very key part in the game. That drive was right before half. Um, it gave a lot of faith and momentum back into the Chiefs. I mean, when you're a star quarterback, the best quarterback in the NFL, most, I mean, debatable, I guess. But when he gets taken off the field, mm -hmm. the the life of the crowd, gets, like it gets sucked out of the stadium. And everyone's like, oh, what's happened to Patrick Mahomes? Like, they worship him in Kansas City. I mean, that he's, he's your franchise. And when he gets hurt in a playoff game, nonetheless – the momentum is definitely flipped. So Chad Henney coming into the game, doing his job, leading him down the field and leading a 99-yard touchdown drive from your backup quarterback, that, that's something you you dream of as a head coach, and that, that really flipped the momentum, like you said. But, I mean, as obvious as this is going to sound, the Jaguars, when they were in the red zone and Jamal Agnew fumbled on that little out route when he tried to cut it up field, that there should have been the game. Right. You fumble. Mm -hmm. They got the ball back twice after that as well. And they couldn't capitalize, which was crazy to me. Right. Like you, you think, okay, the Chiefs get the ball. I think that was with like three and a half minutes 
right before the, I think it was right before the two minute warning, actually. I don't remember yeah. the exact timestamp, but for them to get the ball back twice, not only once, twice after that, they, they, they had plenty of chances to tie this game at least or make it a little more competitive and they just couldn't. It's an unfortunate ending to the season for the Jaguars, but if you're a Jaguars fan, the, the future is just looking tremendous right now. I mean, you get Calvin Ridley next year, which everybody seems to forget yeah. about. Christian Kirk is playing up to his contract standards. I know it was four years, 86 million, which is ridiculous for Christian Kirk, but he's performing. I mean, Trevor Lawrence trusts him and that's what you need. You give your young quarterback weapons. He's going to make plays. And Trevor Lawrence is really looking like a number one pick for a reason. A lot of people doubted him. And I think including us on this podcast, we didn't think Trevor Lawrence was all that in the beginning of the year. They flipped it around and ended up having a pretty goddamn good season. Right. I mean, you get you make it to the divisional round. You lose by a touchdown to the number one seed. You, that game was easily winnable as well. The defense is looking up. They got some young studs on both sides of the ball. I'm excited. If I'm a Jaguars fan, I'm excited for the future. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And having a playoff win under his belt already in Trevor Lawrence in a big playoff win, even though it's a wild card game, one of the best comebacks of all time. Um, of course, as as a Bulls podcast. It's hard to talk about, but that's a big win for Trevor Lawrence for the rest of his career to kind of go off of momentum wise. He didn't do too bad in this game against the Chiefs as well. You only lost by a seven to a team that who knows one of us on this podcast might have one in the, the Super Bowl still. So uh, it, it's a good look. It's a good look from Jacksonville, something that we haven't seen since 2015. Was that the year that they went to the 17. championship? Was it 17, 17? I always think it's. It was five years away, and I always mix up that. But, yeah, Jacksonville, I like when the Jags are good because the yeah. AFC South sucks. AFC South is bad. And that, as of right now, I mean, the rosters are obviously going to change up, right? The Colts are yeah. going to hire a new coach. Um, the Titans are most likely going to get a quarterback. There's some rumors that Tom Brady's going to end up there with Vrabel. I mean, that's it's all speculation right now. Houston has the number one – or number a top – I think they have the number two pick now. I'm sorry. So that number division two. is going to change – it's going to shake up. But – Jacksonville, as of right now, should be winning this division for the next five yeah, years. Yeah, Jacksonville is definitely the favorite right now to win the South. Mm-hmm. And I think that wraps up the first game. So mm-hmm. let's move on to the second game, the a- the NFC East battle, rather. Uh, the Eagles versus the Giants. The spread was five and a half here. I think we both took that, Griff. They got smoked. They got <laughs> smoked. That game was – that was it was never in contention. The Eagles no. had this game after the first drive. No, there's really never like a, a open door, like even like an open window or something for the Giants. Like there was nothing, in my opinion, and they looked terrible. Daniel Jones, I like. I'm starting to like him over this past season, which I I, I bet a lot of people are as well. But just what Daniel Jones has been able to do, like kind of off of improv improvisation, like he's been pretty good, but in this game, I mean, just shut down. And this is the perfect example of how dominant the Philadelphia Eagles have been all season. They needed a game like this and divisional time seems perfect for like a East on East matchup of a team that's clearly better than the other team getting kind of shot down because their rivals, they just, I mean, absolutely want them. There was never a doubt. No, a hundred percent. I mean, you said it perfectly and I kind of want to talk about Daniel Jones for a little bit, and then we'll get kind of into praising the Eagles for now. But mm-hmm. Daniel Jones is in a terrible situation, in my opinion. I mean, you don't misquote me here. Brian Dable is a hell of a coach, and he's changed this franchise around. 
But you look at Daniel Jones's weapons. Saquon Barkley, obviously a stud. They couldn't get it going on the ground. So you have to start to throw it, especially when you're down double digits early in the game. Their leading receiver was Richie James, seven yeah. receptions for 51 yards. And then their second leading receiver was Saquon, two receptions for 21 yards. So they had two guys get over 20 yards in the air. You, I mean, you can blame some of that on the offensive line. You know, Dan Jones got sacked five times. Um, but it's one of those things where it's like, you got to get weapons to surround your young quarterback. We just talked about Trevor Lawrence and the strides he's made. The Giants have never really given Daniel Jones elite weapons. I mean, I it's hard to get elite weapons on every single yeah. team with a young quarterback. But when you're spending all this money on um, Kenny Galladay, who has, what, what was a $78 million contract or something like that? Yeah, something like that. So it's tough, you know? I mean, he he's... He may do with what he had. They had an electric win in the wild card round. This is another team that, although they lost in the divisional round, they really did exceed expectations. I mean, Griff, you called it in our preseason predictions. Um, you said that they, he was going to have his career year, and that they were going to. I mean, you. I think you said they got seven. You were going seven or six wins. I, mean, I couldn't. I think seven and ten. I think I said. Yeah. I no. I know. I said seven and ten. Yeah. I was kind of close. You were very close. I mean, they lost. You nail if you were great at cutting quotes, right? If you said Daniel Jones yeah. is going to have the best career year, the Giants are going to surprise people, and ended the quote there. Yeah, yeah, perfectly just didn't right. Say the part where I said they only go ten and seven or seven and ten, seven and ten. Yeah. So um, I mean, the, the tie though, the tie played a big factor, even yeah. though they completely didn't. But we're going to say that too. There's a lot Let's of excuses. See. I was right. You were right. You were right. And there's no, there's no going back from that. And let's talk about the other side of the ball. I mean. There was a lot of questions surrounding Jalen Hurts. You know, everyone was like, oh, how's his ankle? Is he going to be okay to play in this game? After the first drive, there was no doubt in my mind that he was healthy and ready to go. I mean, I, unfortunately, I couldn't watch this entire game. I was working, but I, I watched the highlights. I saw what he did. You know, it's it's clear as day that the Philadelphia Eagles were way more talented on paper, better coached essentially when it came down to it, and they, they just whomped them on every single side of the ball. I mean, Jalen Hurts didn't – he went 16-24 for 154 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, no, and, and I want to say, like, ankle injury and all, he didn't need to produce in ways that he's been doing all season, and he's had a MVP-type season. The The ground game from Philadelphia, not yeah. just from Hurts, who only ran for 34 yards, and typically we're used to seeing him go over 50. He, he had everybody else, you know, locked in on, on the ground game. He opens up so many holes. Um, just doing read options, giving it to, to the running back, though. Kenneth Gainwell had 112 yards. You wouldn't even say he's the running back one on that team. You'd probably say it was Miles Sanders. And Miles Sanders added 90 yards himself, and then Boston Scott scored a touchdown. All the He's the Giants were- killer. Have you seen that Boston stat? Scott, he scores every single time yeah. they play. So he's had 17 career touchdowns, and I think 11 of them are against the Giants. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think there has to be something there. Like, they know – that when we're facing the Giants, Boston Scott's going to get the ball. Boston, the Scott, it's just, Boston Scott will find his way into the end zone. I think that's awesome. I mean, and I had, for my player prop, I had Miles Sanders over yards. That hit, and he wasn't even his their leading rusher. You know, I mean, they dominated this game on the ground. And as they should have, they got it out to an early lead. They didn't have to throw yep. the ball. You don't have to risk Jalen Hurts. I mean, he's probably like 80, 85, 90% with that ankle. Why even risk it, right? If you're running the ball for 
combined 268 yards and three mm-hmm. touchdowns, what's the point of even risking Jalen Hurts' health? Just save him and just run the ball, stop it, dominate the clock. Don't give the Giants any hope. And that's what they did perfectly. And I mean, if you even want to talk about receiving, everyone contributed. You know, I mean, yeah. they didn't throw the ball too often. Like I just said, they didn't have to. But Devonta Smith, they actually had similar numbers to the Giants. Yeah, and you wouldn't be able to tell. Like, I mean, Devonta Smith, six for sixty-one, a touchdown. Dallas Goddard scored on that opening drive. Yeah. They didn't even need AJ Brown to do anything. He he was basically blanketed. I mean, not blanketed. It's just one of those. He went three for twenty-two. He didn't really play that, or he didn't put up good stats. But he does so much more for the team that his stats really don't matter. Um. He draws all the attention from the defense. He's a stud. And th- this this Eagles team really established themselves as like, yeah. okay. Like, they were – obviously, they were the one seed. They went 14-3 and three in the regular season. But there was a lot of question marks going into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They faced a, film, a familiar foe and literally whomped them, like you said. I, I love how the Eagles handled the divisional round. I love it. I love it. That I mean, uh, that that's a big boost of confidence. It's a big boost of morale. They killed a divisional opponent in the divisional. They're going on to the championship, and obviously we'll talk about that after. But I, I think that's a big, big win for them. Yeah, 100%. And that does it for uh, – shoot, I just lost my – that does it for the Saturday slate of games. Let's move on to Sunday. This is a very – I mean, everyone knows that I'm a bit I, – I pull for the Bengals when the Patriots aren't around. Um, mm-hmm. In my opinion, this was another whomping. Uh, the Bengals beat the Buffalo Bills 27 to 10. This was a game that not the Bengals were five and a half point underdogs or something close to that. I think five points, but they they were this was never in doubt. Opening drive, they went right down the field in the snow and just shoved it right into Buffalo. And they they, they didn't look back. This game should have been even more of a blowout. I mean, Griff, I want your perspective on this on that Jamar Chase touchdown before the half that they ruled incomplete. Do you think that he caught that? I think he caught it. I, I think I he agree. caught it. I think that he got, in my opinion, I think he got both feet in. His third step was a step out of bounds, which then kills the play anyways. So they're they're not ruling whether it's like a fumble going to the ground. In my opinion, they shouldn't be because, like, he stepped out of bounds. If you step mm-hmm. out of bounds – the play is dead. The play is over. So if he gets his two feet and then he steps out of bounds, the play is over. If he goes down and it looks like he's bobbling the ball on the way down, didn't he already step out of bounds? Isn't it? Isn't the play already dead? That's my opinion. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't want to harp too much on that. I mean, it, it's tough to see, especially in the snow. However, every single time – I don't want this to sound corny, but Joe Burrow really did remind me – like when they had their touchdown drives, it reminded me of a Tom Brady-esque drive. You know, it's like three seconds, get rid of the ball, get rid of the ball, get rid of the ball, get rid of check down, hit him 10 yards, get five yards of yak. You know what I mean? It's like, get the ball into the hands of your playmakers and let them make plays. Get rid of the ball quick. Do not let the momentum switch by get taking a sack. And a big level of concern for this um, this Bengals team was their offensive line going into the game. And Joe Burrow got sacked once for two yards, and it was it was him trying to extend to make a play on third down. Um, that That's if I'm the Kansas City Chiefs, we'll get into the predictions. 
you have to get to Joe Burrow with an with a hurt offensive line. And if you can't, you're in big trouble. And that's why the Buffalo Bills did not stand a chance in this game. They couldn't get to Joe Burrow. Yeah, and I mean every single year the Bills lose around this time, right? It sometimes it's the divisional, sometimes it's the AFC championship. And every single time they lose, why is it that they lose? Because they can't run the football. I don't know. I've never like witnessed another franchise go through this three, four, even five year span where they're such a good team. You know, they go whatever and they get first in the AFC East. They get first in the AFC, second in the AFC. And then it comes down to the divisional, to the conference, and they're running for under 75 yards. Like good running teams are teams that win the Super Bowl. And yep. You could argue that that Chiefs team, but no, like they could run. Obviously, you could, the Niners were there as well. They could run. All of these teams had a formidable run game because that is a whole another section of the game. If you can't run, you're, you're one dimensional. You're screwed. And I think I don't. I forget if you said this or if Darren said this. When shout out Darren, um, sh- the Bills are the only team that should be building their team to play in the cold weather yet they're not built to play in the cold weather. Yeah. No, they're like, not. Josh Allen was their leading rusher. He had eight carries for 26 yards. That's abysmal. Like, no wonder why they lost this game. I like that you brought up the point of running the football. They cannot run the football, and they could have made – they could have. Like, when – I think it's in one of the TB12 documentaries when he talks about how he likes playing in the snow because it slows down a defense and running backs have the advantage. It's so much easier to go downhill – when you're playing in the snow than it is to backpedal and play defense. So establishing the run in the snow is absolutely huge and they couldn't do it. I mean, look at the opposite side of the field, Joe Mixon, 20 carries for 105 yards and a touchdown. Samaj P. Ryan would have, Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Burrow would have been their leading rushers on the Buffalo Bills. Samaj mm-hmm. went seven for 33. Joe Burrow went six for 31. How do you have three guys outrush you as an entire team? Usually, I mean, we saw it in the, the Eagles Giants game, I guess. Yeah, I think so. No, I think only two guys outrushed Saquon Barkley, but still, and that game was 38 to 7. And now you're talking about these teams who match up a lot more evenly. Skill wise, you can make the argument that the Bills are better, right? Mm-hmm. I, I probably would. I, I don't know why, but I probably would. At this point, it, it seems like this is the second year with the Bengals, and it's like, are the Bengals still that young team coming up or are they up right now? I, I can't tell because when, when it's playoff time, I mean, they – They turned it I, I wasn't – I'm going to be honest. I bet on the Bills. I didn't expect the Bengals to win this game at all. And, and it just comes back when watching this game. It's like it was too easy. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I The one thing it, that – It would this, be a good debate. Bills offense versus Bengals offense. Who would yeah, you rather have? Exactly. Like, I mean, part of my take did a guy off, like, between all the teams remaining – it's like these guys match up, and now the argument is, is I've seen it all over Sports Center, all over. Is Joe Burrow, should he be ranked higher than Josh Allen right now? And it comes down to the point where it's like, okay, Joe Burrow is just a winner, right? He might not have the intangibles of Lamar Jackson with speed or Josh Allen's arm, but he's pretty damn close in that, and he wins game. He finds ways to make the right play. And this Bengals team, I feel like, does a better job than this than anybody where it's finding motivation out of the slightest things and turning it into the biggest chip on your shoulder, right? Like the 
the Bills and the uh, the NFL was selling tickets for the Bills Chiefs AFC Championship at a neutral yeah. site site in Arizona. Yeah, they had to. That's literally like you can't just yeah. sell it a week before. Like they sell, two, <laughs> they start selling Super Bowl tickets now. Each team on their website has Super Bowl tickets available, just in case, right? And the Bengals are like, nah, fuck that. Like this is our game, and they, I mean, they use it as an example. They use it as motivation, and what kudos to them. Whatever works, it works. And if you want to compare stats. I mean, Joe Burrow went 23, 36, 242, and two tuts. And then you have Josh Allen, 25 of 42, 264, no touchdowns and an interception. And he really did look off all day. He wasn't on the same page as Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs got locked up four for 35. He hit burn Eli Apple. I don't know what you're doing. But Stephon Diggs was clearly unhappy at the end of this game. Stephon Diggs, I I cannot blame Stephon Diggs. Not for what he's done all season. And you can say he got locked up. But watching that game, I'm a Stephon Diggs fan, so I may have some bias. But Diggs is open. Diggs is yeah. open all the time. And, and, you know, you get those balls where, where you know, Josh Allen has to throw throw it up to somebody. He'll throw it up to Diggs. Obviously, that's his best receiver. And, yeah, like pass deflections happen too. And, and Eli Apple went crazy after the game. I don't have, like, a, a side in the Eli Apple stuff. Because I'm a Seahawks fan, I don't like. I don't even remember ever playing against Eli Apple. Like he was on the Giants at one point. He was on the Saints, then the Giants. Um, yeah, so like we played him, but I mean, no personal beef between yeah. Eli Apple and myself. So I think it's hilarious seeing his Twitter and, yeah. and all of those things. But Diggs, he had he had a right being upset with yeah. other people and leaving early because. If I'm Stefan Diggs, I'm putting up these numbers every year, and then we go out, make a mockery of ourselves early. We we lose be, before we're supposed to lose every single year. You get kind of sick of that. Yeah, and I 100% agree. And what I meant, like by getting locked up, he didn't put up stats that we're used to seeing Stefan Diggs. Yeah, no, no, put no, no. Like he didn't get the he, ball. Yeah, he didn't get the ball. And if I'm Stefan Diggs, I make the argument that I'm the most important player on this Buffalo Bills team. Right. Agreed. You look at the progression from Josh Allen. I think we bring up this point probably once yeah. an episode where look at the stats of Josh Allen and how he played before and after Stephon Diggs. He never really made these strides until Stephon Diggs went on the Buffalo Bills. And if I'm Stephon Diggs, it's like, get me the damn football and get out of the way. It's kind of like in basketball, like you have your best player. He's not touching the ball. You, the other team goes on a run, get him the ball, let him make the plays. You have to design plays for Stephon Diggs gets open short and ha- he can get yak. He can do whatever. You know what I mean? It's, it's unfortunate that they never really got him the ball. I mean, Dawson Knox was your leading receiver for 65 yards. It was hard to throw the ball. It was snowing really bad, but if you look at the other side of the ball, I mean, Jamar Chase got involved. He scored a touchdown. He could have scored two if something went the other way. But it's one of those things where you just got to get your playmakers the ball, and the Bills never really did. I mean, they tried to make Josh Allen play hero ball, and you can't yep. do that in the playoffs, especially when everything's magnified. You know, if I'm the Bengals, I'm like, all right, we shut down Josh Allen right now running the ball. They're, they have nothing in the air. and the, That's what happened, and the Bengals really controlled this game, especially in the second half. They just controlled yep. the clock. Yep. Yeah, right. no, exactly. All right, and let's go on to the last game of the slate of the divisional round. We have the Dallas Cowboys losing to the San Francisco 49ers, 19-12. to This was a defensive slugfest. Um, it was unfortunate. I had the over, which I guess in hindsight wasn't really a great pick. But the 49ers, I never really feel like that game was in doubt for them. I don't know why. 
but it, it just felt like eventually they were going to take the lead and they were just going to hold on to it. Dallas couldn't move the ball. No, well, Dallas doesn't win playoff games anymore. This isn't like the 90s and the 80s. Like it, it it's the same thing every year. And I'm going to be the one, I'm going to be on that side of blaming Dak Prescott every year. I, I think that Dak makes us or makes it seem like he's something special, something out of this world in weeks where he like really needs to, to keep it a job in a sense. And then he comes out and when it really matters in a big game against San Fran, I claim a winnable game. I think it's a winnable game. Both defenses were awesome in this game. So they were so good in this game. You had to decide what you're going to shut down. And I mean, San Fran shut down uh, Dallas's run game. And then in my opinion, Dallas shut down a bit more of the run game as well, even though, you know, the whole team ran for over 113 yards, a game where Christian McCaffrey, who didn't seem healthy the whole game, only ran for 35 yards, and then Elijah Mitchell only 51 yards. That's a lot less than those two combined for in a game on average. I don't have the exact number, but there's no way. They they shut down the run game on each side, made both teams pass. When you make the Cowboys pass, it's going to be hard to win a game, in my opinion, yeah. especially when it matters. I don't well, think Dak has it. Oh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, time and time again, you can't keep defending Dak Prescott. And I said that the Cowboys were the best team in the NFC. And I don't necessarily stick by that statement, but I don't really think it's far-fetched talent-wise. They have one of the most talented yeah. rosters in the NFL. But the game really flipped when Tony Pollard went out. You know, Tony Pollard is a stud. He's going to get a bag wherever he goes. It's unfortunate he got hurt and he's going to have a long recovery because he, he, I think he broke his fibula or something, which is not an easy injury to recover from. Um, but CD Lamb really went off too. You look at his stats, he went 10 for 117. He was the only guy in the entire field who had over 100 yards like total. I mean, you can, if you consider the quarterbacks, but he had over half the receiving yards for the Cowboys. And if you look mm-hmm. at the other side, George Kittle had over almost half of the receiving yards for the 49ers. So it's really, this was a low scoring game at defensive slugfest. The defense has played well. Um, I don't really, if I'm Dallas, I don't necessarily know where I go from here. You know what I mean? It's like, what more moves can you make? Do you give that is Dak your guy for the future? Is he, or do you get him more weapons to it's what like CD lambs a stud. We know that Dalton Schultz Schultz is a good tight end. You have Zeke who's getting a lot of money to be a a decent at best running back. Tony Pollard exceeding expectations, but he's an upcoming free agent. Where do you go from here? Because the defense is fine. We know the defense is fine, but do you get Dak weapons or do you move on from Dak? It, it, it's it's a tough situation. It, it's a very tough situation. And I think the thing that's screwing them over the most is the fact that Tony Pollard's contract is up. And I don't know. There's been talk about them potentially franchise tagging him. That would be a tough decision to make, especially when you're already paying a running back so much money in Ezekiel Elliott. Um, Pollard is a guy that needs to be on the Cowboys, in my opinion. He likes – Time in and time out, in my opinion, Tony Pollard is the most consistent player on that team. CD is a great player. CD Lamb is awesome. I would rank him number two right there. But Tony Pollard is a guy where if you give him the amount of touches that a running back one in a premier back should be getting in a game, he's going to produce as a premier back. The issue is Ezekiel Elliott's also in that backfield. 
you can't move on from Zeke at this point. You have to move on from Tony Pollard. You're screwed because his contract's up. You already have so much money in that running back room. You've invested so much money into these guys like Dak, like Zeke, a couple of guys on the defense as well, and you're going to have to pay a couple of these guys too. You're going to have to pay the younger guys like Michael Parsons and Trayvon Diggs. I don't know if they already signed Diggs to a contract, but CeeDee Lamb as well. These are a lot of guys where you're right. At the end of the day, you have to keep on to a CeeDee Lamb. You absolutely have to have to keep on to a guy like Michael Parsons, and I would say around the same for Trayvon Diggs too. So if it comes down to it, Tony Pollard is gone. I don't Mm -hmm. think there's a chance that Tony Pollard comes back to this team. He's going to go somewhere. He's going to be a Pro Bowl running back. Tony Pollard is is amazing. The only reason they're not keeping him, obviously, is because Zeke. I think when Zeke's done with this contract, he should be done with this team as well. And by then, they should find a new running back, maybe draft a rookie this year, maybe next year. Dak Prescott, I think the next two years will tell a lot. I think next year, if he's terrible, um, you know, you keep Cooper Rush in that system for another year or two. He didn't look bad at all when he was mm-hmm. playing for them. And he could be a bridge guy to, you know, potentially tank or get a number one pick. And this is a bit in depth, but th- this team is a fun team to dissect. And they're, they're, it, it's a team where – Everybody loves them. They're America's team. And even if you say you hate them, it's because you love them so much. Everybody likes to watch the Cowboys. They're the yeah. Cowboys. This so is, everybody a good amount about them. They made a push this year. Um, I love the addition of T.Y. Hilton for the year. I think that he came up in big moments. But, mm-hmm. I mean, Dak is on – remember at the beginning of the season, the Daniel Jones leash, obviously he's a lot younger, but a two-year leash – I think Dak's on a two-year leash right now, especially being at 29. He's supposed to be going into his biggest contract years. Um, and if he can't produce in the postseason, I don't think it's worth it for the Cowboys. No, and the Cowboys kind of have to take an approach like the 49ers, if you want kind of my opinion on this, where you need to build up the offensive line and learn how to run the damn football in the primetime mm-hmm. moments. Um, last season – when they lost to the 49ers again, they couldn't really run the ball. That was the whole thing. They were forced to pass and they couldn't come up in the big moment. And this year it's the same thing. You know, it's like the saying, uh, repetition without noticing is insanity. It's kind of like the same thing with the Cowboys year in and year out. And you bring up the point of, you know, moving on from Dak Prescott, a normal team would have him on a short leash, but a normal team doesn't have Jerry Jones as its owner GM where he's too prideful to admit when he has a mistake. And right now this Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott extension after their rookie seasons or the first two years seems to be a mistake, right? And if you want to talk about the teams remaining in the playoffs, three out of the four teams are teams with a quarterback on a rookie deal right now. I mean, Mahomes essentially could be on his rookie deal as well, but they extended him while they had the chance, which is genius. I'm not saying anything Mm -hmm. against that, but I kind of have the philosophy. I guess it's different because, I mean, I saw Tom Brady when he was growing up taking pay cuts every single year. But when you have a young quarterback on a rookie deal who's performing, you build the rest of the team around him and then worry about the quarterback when the time comes, right? And then you pay him or you move on, whatever it is. But no matter how good a quarterback is, if he is doesn't have a team around him, essentially, he cannot perform. 
And when Dak Prescott takes the money that he took, you cannot address the needs of other positions. You know, I mean, you have two guys taking up almost half the offensive payroll with Dak and Zeke, and they're not performing. Then you really wonder, is it time to move on from them? Yeah, I mean, you're right. And it, it, it just comes back to the point where the first two years that they were together, their rookie and sophomore years, they were like, okay, this could be a dynasty, honestly. And Ezekiel Elliott, I mean, was amazing. And in my opinion, he's been outplayed the last two years by Tony Pollard. And you can – I feel like a lot of people, like, j- just look at the stats – and, you know, look at how many yards Zeke has. Notice that it's more than Pollard. It's because Ezekiel Elliott's the running back one on this team. I mean, they don't split reps. Tony Pollard, you know, kind of fought his way through. But it, it comes down to the same thing where Jerry Jones has his guys. And Zeke is definitely one of his guys. He's one of his money makers. Tony Pollard's more of a low-key guy. Um, but Tony Pollard's a lot younger. They're going to miss him a lot the next couple of years while there's still a Dak and Zeke because Zeke's going to have to increase his workload. CeeDee Lamb's going to have to be a guy that gets at least a 1,000 yards on a consistent year-to-year basis. Dalton Schultz going to have to grow into something that, I mean, he's going to have to grow into like a all-pro second-team tight end for this team to really get to where they want to be. The defense doesn't look too bad, but they're aging other than their couple of young stars. The rest of them are old veterans and, you know, they're in win now mode. And I think that next year they're still going to be in win now mode, but Tony Pollard is the start of a lot of people leaving this Dallas team and they can't rebuild right now. They're in win now mode, but they're starting to lose those people. So the next couple of years, they're going to be making trades, trying to keep it uh, within and, you know, get a lot of these veterans and it's all going to come crashing down soon. So without a Super Bowl in the next two years, it's it's going to be bad for the Cowboys. And a hundred percent. I mean, it's tough because you literally can't afford to pay a second running back a max deal. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You can't do it. Yeah. No Even team though, can do that. Yeah. I mean, I know the arguments made earlier, the Dallas Cowboys, you can do what you want. You can't. It's like financially paying three guys a max contract, two of them being in the same position, both of them in your backfield, is almost ridiculous, right? And C.D. Lamb's rookie deal, it's coming up. I mean, like you stated before, Micah Parsons and Trayvon Diggs, what are you going to do with that side of the ball? Micah Parsons is a game wrecker. Trayvon Diggs forces like some of the most turnovers – or he, I, I don't know what the stat is. He creates the most turnovers, I think, for DBs in the last two years, or he's top five or something like that. You got to keep a guy like that. You know, he's a game, he's a game wrecker. Game wreckers on defense win you games. I mean, you look at the teams remaining. Like, look at the 49ers. You have Nick Bosa, Fred Warner. We haven't talked about the 49ers yet, but Fred Warner is the best linebacker in football. Um, look at the Philadelphia Eagles. They led the NFL in sacks. You look at the Bengals. You got Trey Hendrickson. You got the linebacker core there with Jermaine Pratt and Logan Wilson. You have Sam Hubbard, DJ Reader. These guys are studs. You have Mike Hilton, who's one of the best hitting safeties in the NFL. You look at the Chiefs, you got Frank Clark, you got Chris Jones. These guys are all studs, right? And you got to form talent on the defensive side of the football to complement your offense. And I don't care how good your defense is. If your offense is getting off the field in four, three plays, three plays, three, three plays, you're going to allow points. It's just the law of averages, regardless of how good your defense is. So the Dallas offense really let them down. You hold that 49ers team to 19 points and you lose the game. 
I don't know what else you can do other than you can't point this at you can't point this at the defense. But I want to talk about the 49ers, right? They won the game. They deserve some shine too. Um, this uh, Kyle Shanahan. I know they like I just said they only scored 19 points. They were held, but like this offense is just so fun to watch. It's literally poetry in motion. You know how how they complement each of their players. You get your offensive line in motion. Trent Williams is the best lineman in football, in my opinion. And Brock Purdy is just serviceable. He's doing his job. He's not trying to do too much. And that's what this 49ers team needs. They need a game manager at quarterback. And when he does his job, this offense flows perfectly. Yeah, and a week that they didn't get it done as well as they've been doing, obviously they've been the best offense in the league since uh, Brock Purdy took over. Um, Their defense has been terrific all season. It's continued to be. It showed in the Cowboys game. Obviously, we talked about it. You named a few names as well of a couple of their studs. I mean, they have an all-pro at safety. They have an all-pro at linebacker. And and I want to say uh, Bosa is an all-pro as well, second team, I think. Um, they have an all-pro at each level of the defense. Hufunga got second. or did I think Hufunga might have got first team this year. He got yeah, he he had did. a very did. underrated year, played very well. And then, obviously, as you said, Fred Warner – the best linebacker in football and Nick Bosa's up there too for edge rushers. This team has a guy at every single level of every single side of the ball, including special teams. I mean, Robbie Gould's out here having 13 points in the game total with one extra point and four field goals. Mitch Wisnowski's even a good punter. Like they obviously have the guys on offense and you could argue that their worst position is their quarterback. But it comes back to that point where you don't pay your quarterback a lot of money or he's on a rookie deal. In this case, I mean, this is almost the least that a rookie can make in Mr. Irrelevance pick. You have so much money to give to other people and so much money to give into the defense, and it's working out right now. And, I mean, this is a very good strategy in, in, in the game has become so strategic and Shanahan's one of the best of this new generation. It's been, it's been like exciting to watch on and off the field, just looking at the roster. Mm-hmm. Just no, looking they- at this roster is insane. And then you put someone like a Brock Purdy. And if you're a college football guy, like I am, I watched a lot of Brock Purdy in college. I, I was always of the mindset where I was like, Watching Brock Purdy in college, he looks like an NFL quarterback to me, and he doesn't look like someone that's going to be flashy or something like that, and that's why he went so far down. He played very good in the Big 12, and, I mean, he you put Christian McCaffrey in the backfield with Elijah Mitchell. You give him Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk. I mean, that's a quarterback stream. He's been, mm-hmm. he's been the perfect, like, shoe-in of a guy that nobody thought he was even going to touch the field this year, and he's in the championship game now. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a huge test for the 49ers here, right? Like, can they can they step up? Can they go to Philadelphia and squeak out with a win? We'll get to our conference championship predictions, but um, this team, every time you start to doubt them, they just prove why they're where they are, right? I mean, you said it perfectly. This offensive roster, well, the defense aside, we know their defense is awesome. But they're on offense, they got some studs. Their offensive line is awesome. Their their scheme is just perfect. And I think every single team should really adopt their scheme, right? You know, I mean, you have your flashy plays. You have your $500 million quarterbacks. It's a little different. But, like, teams that have certain pieces 
should really adapt what the 49ers are doing. You know, get your guys in motion, get your playmakers the ball and let them make plays. You know, they're there where they are for a reason. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, stud, George Kittle. Ever, uh, Brock Purdy having a guy like George Kittle, I mean, I can list every single weapon they have, but having a guy like George Kittle who's not afraid to get hit, who can make the catches in traffic and get up and celebrate getting hit like a psycho, that does a lot for you as a quarterback, right? You you have a guy like George Kittle, it's like, shoot, I got nothing. I got to throw it to him over the middle. George Kittle has no problem taking hits, especially for a guy like Brock Purdy. George Kittle has been really outspoken about how much he likes Brock Purdy and how well Brock Purdy has stepped into the fire and really handled him. So, I mean, Debo Samuel's a stud, too. Uh, Debo's one of the best players in the NFL for a reason. Ayuk has really stepped up, and Christian McCaffrey's a top-five running back when healthy. So, Brock Purdy has the pieces around him. Let's see if they can go into Lincoln Financial and get the job done. That It's going to be very interesting to see. Yeah, in my last piece, and we could even get into this NFC Championship too, but I'm going to continue talking. Just one little point about Sam Fran was you mentioned how he has the perfect pieces around him. In my opinion, you know, you don't get to see much in the locker room, but it looks like it's that way on and off the field. I mean, you see the pictures. I mean, I follow I follow Kyle Juszczyk on Instagram. I don't know why, but um, he's posting pictures, and in the locker room, they're just sitting in a circle and it's literally Christian McCaffrey, Kyle Juszczyk, George Kittle, and Brock Purdy. If you're Brock Purdy and that's like the people that you're hanging around with on a day-to-day basis, that's very good for you, for your relationship with your best offensive players, as well as those guys having your back in any situation. If Christian McCaffrey and George Kittle are out there, you know, hyping you up and making you feel like you can do it, you're going to believe that you can do it because these are Mm -hmm. two of the best guys in the league at their position. So, I mean, perfect situation. And I feel like that team has taken them in so well. Brock Purdy is literally in the perfect spot to succeed right now. I would say even better than when Jimmy Grappolo came back after Mm -hmm. Trey Lance, you know, because I feel like once Jimmy came back, I was like, oh, they're going to the Super Bowl. But now it's like – this is a whole nother story. This should have been Jimmy Garoppolo. They took him in the same way I thought they took it. They took Jimmy G back in just to like, I mean, that's what you have to do. And it works. Not a lot of teams can do that. No. And they have a good culture there. I mean, it starts with Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch, the GM too. It's the culture, right? The 49ers cultures, the fans welcomed him in, obviously. I mean, everyone on that team is supporting Brock Purdy. And when, like you said it perfectly, if you have the best, players in the NFL support supporting you and hyping you up. You're going to believe you can do it and believing in yourself as corny as this is going to sound, believing in yourself is the first step into being great. And he's done that. And look where the 49ers are right now with a chance to go to the Super Bowl. And, and, and it's not like he's a bad quarterback. He was no. the last pick in the draft, obviously out of Iowa state, but he balled out at Iowa State. I want to say he started for three years, if not four, all four years he was there. And he was a guy year in and year out that had that team ranked, that was winning bowl games. I thought he was going to be, like, picked in the draft early, like first three or four rounds, just because of the amount of, like, games that I watched of him. I don't know why or how I ended up watching so many Rock Purdy games, but now I'm glad I did. I used to joke about, like, every single time I would turn the TV on on a Saturday – I'd be like, nice, it's Iowa State. Like, why am I watching Iowa State? They suck. But, I mean, I guess I'm glad now because I'm watching him in the league and he's 
succeeding way more than he should, especially being the last pick of the draft. And he's in the a- NFC Championship game now, Stop. Mm-hmm. And let's dive right into the AFC, or the, I'm sorry, the NFC Championship while we're talking about Brock Purdy. Um, we have the 49ers traveling to Philadelphia to face the Eagles. That is the first game, 3 o'clock on Sunday. Uh, the 49ers are underdogs. They're one and a half point underdog. Under, I'm sorry. Is it one and a half or two and a half? I'm sorry. It's two and a half. Two and a half point underdogs. Um, Over under set at 46. This is a tough game to pick, right? I mean, we just spent the last 20 minutes hyping up Brock Purdy and saying how good of a job he's done with this team around him. But the Philadelphia Eagles don't care how good of the story this is, right? They're trying to get back to the, and they're trying to get back to the Super Bowl for the first time since 2017. Um, 2017, 2018, this Eagles team is pretty goddamn good, and they get to the quarterback. So this is just like this is just a clash, right? You the, you think of the 49ers offensive line, how good they are. Well, the if not as good, the Philadelphia defensive line might be better, right? I they they come I think they had three guys get over 10 sacks, and it's gonna be tough for the 49ers, in my opinion. If you can't establish the run, they're in trouble. Yeah, they're they're in a lot of trouble, and I don't know if we want to get into our predictions right away. Philly minus two and a half, the over at forty six. I this is a tough game to pick. This is a very tough game to pick. Every single Super Bowl CD has a story, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and every story starts at some point. In my opinion, this CD has already started. For this team, I think out of the NFC, I don't know. I don't know. I kind of have this team winning the Super Bowl. Which, which one? The Eagles? The Eagles. I think that their Super Bowl CD started with an absolute whomping of the New York football Giants. And I might have a completely different prediction after, even if the Eagles win this round, I may have a different prediction for, um, this other team on the other side, because both of these teams, in my opinion, just perfect stories in the NFL loves a good story. The Eagles, I'm going straight in for minus two and a half. I got the Eagles at home. Brock Purdy hasn't lost the game. I've said that every single week. I've said that every single week that he has played Brock Purdy hasn't lost the game. It's got to start at some point. He, he can't, he can't. He can't win every single game, Stav. He can't. And I think I even if they win this week, I don't think he's going to win. He can't do that. Nobody can do that. That's like, when does that ever happen? I don't know. I know it's a great team. I got the Eagles minus two and a half in Philadelphia. It's going to be rocking on a Sunday afternoon, which I hate that this game is not at night. Towards the second half, it'll become dark out. It'll seem more like a night game, but it's not at night. I got Philly minus two and a half, Stav. Before I give my over-under, I would love to hear your prediction for the spread as well. Um, I took 49ers money line. That's right. And, you know, it's one of those things where I think the 49ers are such a complete team, right? And they find ways to win against the teams that they're facing. And whether it be a close game or not, they attack you in certain ways that other teams don't attack you. And they... They, in my opinion, they faced a much harder challenge in the Dallas Cowboys, their first game in the playoffs, 
And in the wild card, they face the Seattle Seahawks, where both of those teams are better than the New York Giants, right? So we can say all we want that the New York Giants got whomped, but they should have. The, the Eagles did their job. And if we're talking about doing jobs, the 49ers have taken care of business in every single playoff game. It was never really in doubt. And we keep saying Brock Purdy has to lose. He has to lose. Why? Why? Why does he have to lose? He, it's, yeah. not, it's, it's not. So <laughs> I've said it. I think I said that in the wild card game against the Seahawks. He has to lose eventually. But now that he beat the Cowboys, it's like, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't give a fuck if we think he has to lose. This this team is so mentally tough. You go through three quarterbacks, essentially, right? You're on your third quarterback this season, and each of them have performed in a separate way. You know, you have a completely dynamic play style with uh, Trey Lance, who got hurt early in the season. You know, he was my MVP uh he was my MVP prediction. I mean, we're going to go look back at our predictions because I was so off for a lot of things. And then you go to Jimmy G, the guy who you're comfortable with, the guy who's brought you to the NFC Championship twice. Uh, he brought you to a Super Bowl a few years back. He's the guy you're confident with. He goes down. Now you got Mr. Irrelevant stepping up to the plate, and now this whole offense is performing around them. And I just think – it's more than Brock Purdy, obviously. You know, Brock Purdy isn't going to be the reason why they win or lose this game. You know, I, I think that Christian McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, Jawan Jennings, all these guys are too much for Philadelphia to handle. And I think the 49ers win this game in a close one. You know, it, it, their defense just flies around. You, We talked about the Eagles prior, right? We talked about them. I think that was the second game we covered. Um they're not going to be able to run the ball as they did against the Giants. So now you're forced to throw the ball. And if you can take away A.J. Brown, you're really going to isolate Devonta Smith. Devonta Smith's a stud, but it's going to be hard for Devonta Smith just to, to take away. or uh, It's going to be hard for Devonta Smith to really impact the game if you're getting isolated like he like this 49ers defense does. They suffocate him. And the Eagles offensive line has their injuries, right? And Nick Bosa is going to – he's a game wrecker. Fred Warner's a game wrecker. These guys are studs defensively, and I think that this is going to be one of those games where we're just like, shit, 49ers are legit. Like, it doesn't matter who's at quarterback. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic matchup looking into it of two great teams. I'm glad we got a little East versus West matchup. I love having, like, you could say, like, one side of the country is on the Eagles, one side is on the Niners, but that's not even true. I feel like it's like the other way around. I feel like a lot of this side or a lot of our area likes the Niners in this game. Yeah. I don't know why a bunch of my friends like the Niners in this game. They like the Niners. I don't, I obviously I'm a Seahawks fan. So you could say I'm biased against the Niners. You could say all these things, but this is my genuine prediction. This is what I'm going to be putting money on this weekend. So I got the Eagles, but I feel like, there's a lot of areas on the West Coast that don't like the Niners. Obviously, the the Pacific Northwest and then uh, Southwest as well around Arizona and even in the same state with the Rams. They don't want to see the 49ers win the Super Bowl. They don't want to see a rival win the Super Bowl. And I guess the Eagles, you know, there's a lot of Giants fans around here, a lot of NFC East fans around here. It's kind of the opposite. This game is a clash, though. Whenever an Eastern team plays a Western team, it's a battle of the sides. And – 
I don't I just oh, the the 49ers are so like structurally tough. I just think the Eagles have a different motor. I think the whole Philadelphia this comes down back to the Phillies. This comes from the streets of Philadelphia. I I just think there's something different and if this game was played in beautiful Santa Clara, I think I'd be saying something else. But there's going to be something different over there at Lincoln Financial on Sunday afternoon. I like the air is going to look different. It's going to look like a, a movie. And at the end of the day, there's going to be something weird that Jalen Hurts does while holding up the trophy. That's just like I have like a beautiful vision of this game for that. Mm-hmm. So I got to stick with it. I mean, I got to. I'm I'm not trying to like back down on my pick, but this is literally a coin flip game for me, Griff. You said no, it's going to be a great game. Like the the location of this game was really hard for me to pick the 49ers, right? Like I, the Eagles are such we we talked about it. Like give the flowers to the Eagles; they're the best team in football. They went 14 and three. There's a reason why they went 14 and three. It's just I think that the 49ers are so well coached. Nick Sirianni, he, he kind of rubs me the wrong way. I don't know why. I think he's too emotional when it comes down to it, and. He might let the momentum of the game and the steadiness and the control of the 49ers get to his head a little bit, right? Like you see him get out of character. You they were up 24 mm-hmm. to 7, I think, in the in the second quarter, going into score before a half. And he freaked out on the refs because of something minor. Like, I know what the F I'm doing, like freaking out. What if this game doesn't go the, the what if the ball doesn't bounce the Eagles away? He might go out of character and try and coach in the different way that he's used to he might be trying to take some shots and get it all back in one play when you can't do that against the 49ers right yep. so i think that coaching really does come down to when kyle shanahan has made his mistakes in the past he knows what it takes to kind of get there sirianni hasn't gotten over that hump that's kind of why i made my decision mm-hmm. why i made my pick and picking the 49ers here yeah i i mean both of these games this weekend this mm-hmm. sunday are going to be very very tough bets i'm glad that we each took a side though yep um well, quick before like good, we move move on to the next one, what do you got for the over under? Oh yeah, that's right, that's right. At forty six, I got the under. I, I agree. Both, I'm telling you with I that. Think both defenses are going to play very good in this game. It's set at forty six. I think it's going to be somewhere around like seventeen fourteen. Like I mm-hmm. think that this is going to be a and it's a, not going to be one of those late. boring. It's not going to be a boring low score. No, there's going to be shots. There's going to be turnovers. Mm-hmm. There's going to be breakout runs there's going to be long kick returns there's going to be everything that you want in this game yep. except there's not going to be a ton of touchdowns there will someone will win by a field goal oh i 100 percent agree and that's why the line is perfectly set at two and a half vegas yes. knows it's it's one of those things where um you think it's just going to be a defensive slugfest it's going to be a masterpiece you know both coach i mean i i just kind of ragged on Nick Sirianni a little bit, but both coaches are going to be calculating their decisions. And when the coaches get away from it, that's when the other team takes advantage of it. Right. And I think that Nick Sirianni is going to be the first one to make a mistake. Like I think he's going to be, he's going to go for it on fourth down from his own side of the field when he doesn't have to, which leads to 49ers points, but it's going to be an under game. I a hundred percent agree. And I think that if the final score is going to be something like 20 to 17 something along those lines, maybe even 24 to 20 where the under will still hit in that case. And we'll be sitting here. Like it's going to be hard to pick against one of these teams in the Super Bowl. how, depending on how they win this game. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can make the argument that the two teams in the NFC are the best two teams of like left. 
So yeah, 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 you could, you could, you definitely could. But I mean, any given Sunday, as they say, and obviously we're not at that point yet to the Super Bowl. But I mean, you could even talk about it on this game, um, if if, if you're good moving on. Yep. Yeah, if, I mean, you could even talk about it on this game when it comes down to the Bengals and the Chiefs. It's any given Sunday. The Chiefs historically against Joe Burrow have not been good. Stav, do you have the exact number? I think it's three games. Three and oh, three and oh. I've three seen games, it so many times on games. Twitter. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. And it's not that Joe Burrow has done it all, done or won all those games in Cincy. I actually want to say two of them were in Kansas yep. City. You want to say he has his number in the line that's been moving all day, all week. Yep. Like every single time I check it, it's different. And it, even team-wise, stop. What do you have it at right now? I mean, right now, I what I see on ESPN is Chiefs minus Kansas one. City. I have one and a half yeah. also on ESPN. Yeah, Which so it oh, maybe I have to refresh or something. But no, uh, <laughs> the, I, I mean earlier, refresh, just but. earlier today, we're recording this at five p.m. When I woke up this morning, the Bengals were still favored on my website. Yep. And so I, so the week started off. I think on Sunday I checked the lines. It was Chiefs minus two and a half, and then it moved to Bengals minus one and a half. And then it was Bengals minus one. Then it was a pick em last night. And now the Chiefs are, or at least how I was checking on my site. Yep. And now the Chiefs are favored again. I haven't seen a line move this much, for especially for a playoff game, ever. Right? Like, back and forth. This is like an NBA game where the lead's changing every single goddamn minute. You know, who knows who's going to be favored by, by the time Sunday comes. We're recording this on Thursday. Um, who knows what the line's going to be? You know, this is one of those games where not even Vegas knows, right? Everyone's so, so split. And you think it's one of those things where it's like everyone thinks the Chiefs are going to finally beat Joe Burrow. But every time you count out the Bengals, they surprise you and pull off a win. And yeah, it's true. Burrow has Mahomes' number right now. But nobody else has Mahomes' number. And 3-0, and it's not like he's 10-0. Right? How do you define, oh, Burrow has his number? It's just because Patrick Mahomes is so goddamn good that nobody has really a winning record against him other than like Tom Brady, who's like four and three. So Burrow's three and oh, yeah, but there's not a big sample size against Patrick Mahomes that people have a winning record. I think it's only Burrow and Brady who have winning records against the Chiefs. So winning records, everything eventually loses. So it's one of those things where I pull for the Bengals. That's no secret. I say that probably five times an episode. But in my mind right now, it's so hard to bet against the Chiefs. How do you bet against the Chiefs when Patrick Mahomes is playing? And I'll tell you why. It's because Patrick Mahomes' ankle has is bummy right now, and the Bengals' pass rush is going to get after him. Bengals minus two and a half all day, or minus one, whatever it is, minus ten and a half. I take him too. Bengals Bengals. plus one and a half right yeah, now. Exactly. As of right now, I got him at minus one and a half earlier in the week. I bet this on Monday. This is. A, this is the lock for me. This is my lock of the week. I have Bengals minus one and a half. I, um, the line's going to change. I already know it. I'm just going to say that's what I took it at. If it moves to plus one, I love it. So, yeah. Well, what would you play it to? They're plus one. You get you get them plus one, plus one and a half right now. Would you play it to like minus two? 
I would. I would take Bengals minus. I mean, in my opinion, the line at plus one is just a pick them, right? Obviously, it's just a pick them. You can't tie. So the Bengals, if they win this game, it's going to be by more than one. How often do you see a one-point game in a conference championship game? It's usually three or whatever it is, two. So I I like them at two, to be honest. I mean, I took them at one and a half, so I like them winning by two. I don't think the line will move into the favor of the Bengals again. So when we make our prediction, when we make our post, I th- right look right now, I'll take the Bengals plus one. That's my prediction because the line is just so crazy. Stop. I've I mean I've been questioning this game like every single time I look at it. I have I have yet to actually pick a team while looking at this game all week, mm-hmm. all week leading up to it, and I'm not probably not going to pick anything with money on it until Sunday, but I do have to give my pick right now. And there are a lot of different things that I'm considering in this. And we talked about how we believe that the Bills and the Bengals are even in terms of offense and defense. Um, At this point, I'd kind of put them in the same category as the Chiefs as well, the Bengals, especially in times like this. Um, these are two winning quarterbacks, two quarterbacks that know how to take over games, know how to control games. And if you want to look at it at every level, you have Jamar Chase and Travis Kelsey in the receiving side. Obviously, they do two different things for their team, but their main job is to advance the ball, right? And looking at the rushing game, you want to say Joe Mixon is better than Isaiah Pacheco, but the way that Isaiah Pacheco has been playing has been, I mean, perfect. I'm, it, he's been running for over 100 yards. He's been scoring touchdowns. He's been running with power which you know you didn't really expect from a guy he has like a, Isaiah, his four three speed yeah a, yeah he's an athletic he's freak. Speed, and he he can put his shoulder into somebody as well and he has been exactly what kansas city needed at, at that running back position he's stepped up and he's done the past few weeks and and you want to believe he's going to continue to do that this game's going to be very even and mm-hmm. and it's a very tough game to bet that's why the line keeps changing it's at Arrowhead, and I want to say since, like, week seven, I've been saying the Chiefs are just going to, like, win the Super Bowl. Like, I, I've i just been, like, randomly having moments where I'm like, this is just going to be the year that, like, the Chiefs go out and just, like, win one. Like, they'll, they'll go win a Super Bowl and nobody will care. But just the emergence of the Bengals again, I just hate how they're back. It, it It's so hard to bet against them now that they're back. They've done it before, and I've been saying the Chiefs have been are like just gonna go out and do it, kind of like how I have my prediction for the Astros. It's like I feel like we're not talking about this team enough, right? And it's like, oh wow, they're the one seed, and there's a lot of questions around them. But why aren't we even talking about them, right? Yeah, I mean, it's you look so at hard to think against look it. at Patrick Mahomes' stats. He threw for 41 touchdowns and over 5,000 yards, and nobody and said anything. He nobody talks about it. Yeah, he should be the MVP if you look at it like this. He, they're 14 and three. He threw for 41 touchdowns, over 5,000 yards. Kelsey had over 1,300 yards and he had 12 touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, but if you want to do a guy off, Burrow threw for 35 touchdowns, over 4,400 yards. Jamar Chase went over 1,000 yards, had nine touchdowns. These, and yeah, here's where I think the difference in the game is going to come. Um, the Chiefs. Big play potential has been taken away from them with Tyreek Hill. I don't trust that Juju Smith-Schuster as a wide receiver one 
can I mean obviously Travis Kelsey is the best tight end in football. I'm not saying anything yeah. against that, but if you take away Travis Kelsey from Patrick Mahomes, they don't have anything, right? And I I, I trust the Bengals front four defensively to stop the run. I trust them to stop Isaiah Pacheco. They've done it in their first two playoff games, right? Against a primarily running team with the Ravens, they stopped the run. And then against a, a team that should have ran the goddamn football and they couldn't, they handled the Bills, right? So I just think that the Bengals are the only team remaining that knows what it takes to go into Arrowhead and beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And, you know, looking at both teams' past five games, they've obviously both won all five in a row. Um, but, I mean, the Chiefs beat the te- the Texans in overtime, which was an embarrassing one uh, that we all remember. They beat the Seahawks by 14. Then they beat the Broncos only by three. And then the Vegas Raiders, 31-13, to 13, they handled a struggling uh, Raiders team. I want to say Nathan or not Nathan Peterman, but who was the uh, Stidham. Stidham? Jared Stidham was playing quarterback at the time, and then they beat Jacksonville by twenty-seven. It's like, you know, that's not a great five-win span, in my opinion. Um, and then you look at the Bengals. Joe Burrow goes out, beats Tom Brady. Then he beats the Patriots. Then he beats the Ravens. Then oh look, we have the Ravens again in the wild card. I think that the wild card gives them a big advantage here. And then you go out. You smack oh. around the Buffalo Bills. I'm taking the Bengals. I love you for that. I'm taking Thank the Bengals. And I just found the bulletin board material for the Bengals. Defensive player Willie Gay on the Chiefs says nothing impresses him about the Bengals offense. Why <laughs> give them bulletin board material? You can't say What's, I don't understand <laughs> why teams do this, right? Do your goddamn job and then talk shit, right? And especially against the team that has your number – do not give them a bigger chip on their shoulder because no one's picking them right now. I'm looking at the general cons- the spread consensus pick. 70% of the public is picking the Chiefs minus one and a half. That's already the bulletin board material. I, I You already see it. And now you add them insulting your offense. Jamar Chase has like 500 yards in two games against them and literally owns them. He, he, you're an idiot for saying that. And now I, I'm picking the Bengals even more than I was 10 minutes ago when I started when we started this. Yeah, and, and Mahomes with the injury just doesn't – He can't move a, around. You know, you look at how the Chiefs generate offense, and obviously they're a dominant offense, and Mahomes is one of the best quarterbacks that we've seen. Um, a lot of it comes on broken plays. A lot of it comes when he's out of the pocket and some <clears> – <throat> excuse me, and somebody breaks free for him. When he can't break free, what do you do? And when he can't scramble around and when he can't – necessarily make the plays that he's used to making this chief's offense is going to struggle so it's really going to come down to if isaiah pacheco can really establish himself on the ground and i don't trust that he can't i think the Bengals are going to rough up Mahomes early and it's going to take him out of the game so that's why i got the Bengals plus one technically right now yeah I, i'm you know i'm there with you and, and how about the over under set at 47 for this over. game one more point in the afc um over. i'm taking the over as well I the over, yeah it's going to hit I think that this is a mm. 47 is too low for these teams. It's one of those things where you look at the Bengals and you look at the I teams. think this is a 28-24 game. Yeah, I and agree. I, and I, I wouldn't even be surprised if one of these teams puts up 30. You know what I mean? It, both of these teams are very capable of scoring 21 points in one quarter, and that's half of it. Right? And, and I'm not a huge fan of Kansas City's uh, secondary. No, Never. not at all. And I – I want to talk about Mike Hilton is a stud. 
That uh, he yeah. we talk about guys who aren't really talked about. Nobody talks about how good Mike Hilton is. He's five nine and is one of the hardest hitting safeties in the league. He he plays his job perfectly. He's what I like to say. He's like a flex. He's a hybrid safety where he can come down in the box, make plays. He can hit running backs in the in the backfield. He's split. He's one of the. He's I think he leads the NFL or he's like top five in sacks for a secondary player. Um, he's always making plays. He's disrupting things. He forced a fumble, I think, on Josh Allen early in that game, or he like got he had a huge hit on him early, and he sets the tone right. And he's probably going to be primarily matched up or shadowing Travis Kelsey. If he does his job and if these linebackers can contain Pacheco and they can limit Mahomes scrambling, even though he's going to be limited himself, I don't see a way the Bengals can lose this game if they take care of the football. Yeah, agreed. I, th- I Would you rather have him or Jesse Bates over Kelsey? It'll probably be a mixture of both. I think yeah. Bates will be primarily, but I think wherever Travis Kelsey goes – Mike Hilton will be on that side of the field just might to deliver on, the hit. Might be on him and Bates over him or even Von Bell over him. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously we're it's not be a mixture the, of everybody. We're, we're not in the, in the yeah. defensive meetings. So we don't, we don't really know yet, but, uh, but yeah, you know, we, we got the same pick on the AFC. I like how we have different picks in the NFC though. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be great. It's going to be a great yep. weekend, great Sunday, great two games. And going into it, I'm going to be excited. I mean, I'm excited today. So I'm going to be excited for the next few days going into it. But I mean, I'm, I'm just, I can't wait for it. No, I, I, we're, regardless of the outcomes of the game, we're in for a treat in the Super Bowl and we're in for a treat this weekend, especially. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because bl- you blink and the season's over. But, this this is awesome. I mean, all four of these teams deserve to be where they are. Um, I, these are the four best teams in football, and I don't. There's you could insert maybe the. I don't think so. I think that these four teams are the best four teams in football. Yeah, I would agree. I I, I would agree with you, and I think that this is the perfect, um, like, ending to the season. It's it's on the on the AFC side of the ball. It's the two teams, in my opinion, that are going to match up in multiple AFC championships for the next few years. And out of the NFC side, it's, you know, San Fran, such a storied franchise going up against Philly, who's been here before in multiple different eras. They're back again, two great fan bases, four great fan bases throughout. But I think that's going to wrap up this episode. Stav, you got anything? I'm just excited. I love football. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be awesome. Yeah, so, I mean, we hope you guys enjoy. We're going to be back next week, back at school, back on episodes. We're going to be talking some NBA ball. We're going to be talking some college ball next week. And, obviously, we're going to be opening up our conversation about the Super Bowl at that time. But before that, we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. We're going to sit back. We're going to enjoy this AFC-NFC championship games this weekend. We hope you guys do the same. Have a great weekend, and peace. Peace.